When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Craig Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and let's dive in. How the devil are you? Now, just before you start opening that Advent calendar, because yes, it is the 1st of December 2022 today, I want to talk to you about a few things. I want to say thank you, first of all, for the response, the phenomenal response to Julie Hesmond-Holsch's episode last week. A lot of you are rushing out to get a book, which is brilliant. I finished it and yeah, you're going to thank me. And it's always a pleasure to have Julie on the show. She's always got something important to say and plus she's just bloody lovely isn't she so fantastic episode speaking of that we've got another absolute belter for you this week i'm so happy that we managed to sit down with liz white uh we have been trying to get dates organized for quite some time me and liz but what with one thing and another it has been difficult but this week we made it happen and we sat down and we discussed lots of things. Now, you're going to know Liz from so many things. She's such a brilliant actor. Um, I suppose most famously for her role opposite past TSP guest John Sim in The Exceptional Life on Mars on BBC. But uh, this being the Two Shot Podcast, we don't discuss that. We discuss more important things like what's best to do on a Sunday. And if you should leave the theatre at the interval the pros the cons the whys the why nots let's get down to it this is the two shot podcast with the incredible liz white get your baileys in hand here we go maybe it's a bit too early for that it wasn't when we recorded liz white how are you oh i'm good thanks craig how are you doing (laughs) I'm good. Well, it's it's kind of funny, even though I don't talk about jobs when I talk to actors on the, on this podcast. But I've uh, I'm in my final week of filming with our friend John Sim, and yeah. now I come off set and I come and talk to you, and there's a lovely connection there. But we won't talk about that. That's not what we do because we talk about the people. But before we start, I want to do something that I haven't done for a while. And it's just, it's just a few random questions that you answer in your own way. Okay. Because you'll, you'll get the gist. That's a huge, just to let you know, Liz White is picking <laughs> up the biggest mug of tea or coffee I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's because it's out of perspective. It's closer to the it's, camera though. There you go. That that's I feel like a borrower <laughs> right now. That's that that's ridiculous. Um, Elizabeth White, a good film or a good book? 
a good fit. Oh, I can give you both. I, I saw The Wonder the other day on Netflix and absolutely had me pinned to the sofa. Um, well, we that was one of ours the other night that we were too tired to watch. But yeah, it's on definitely on the list. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. And Florence Pugh is a bit of a wonder anyway, isn't she? I know. It, and, I be- it, and I believe the genius that Tom Burke is, oh, is he's in brilliant. that as well. He's brilliant. brilliant. And Neve Algar and um, Elaine Cassidy. They're all, yeah, they're all great. And it looks beautiful. And, and then this very, very still performance by this 13-year-old kid who's Elaine Cassidy's daughter in real life. No way. Yeah, so they get to play mother and daughter on screen. Oh and, um, and I read a lovely interview with Elaine Cassidy and her daughter talking about it, and she said, Elaine Cassidy said, there's so much talent on set, I would have just swept the floors there. But as it was, I got this great part to be the mum. And, um, and they were looking for the girl for ages and ages, sifting through tapes, and then... You know, it's similar to Florence Pugh's story about how she got in. It was a last-minute self-tape. They just thought, oh, we'll knock it out. The director's been looking for months, thinking, if we don't find the right girl, we won't make this film. And then he comes upon her tape and just goes, right, that's it, we've got the film, it's her. And um, and now they have the wonder. But it's great, and thing, uh, films like that, it, they can look quite austere, you know. It's set, it's set in, like, this massive landscape in Ireland somewhere and you're not really sure if there's going to be any fun in it or, you know, any entertainment, but there sure is, like, it's, it's just hugely stimulating. Well, that's one for the list, so we're going with a good film present, Liz yes. White. So my next quickfire question is Saturday night or Sunday yeah. morning? Oh. Sunday morning, but it's a close one. It's a close one. It, do, do you do you think if I asked that question to you twenty years ago, it would be a very different answer? I think if you asked me that question twenty four hours ago, when I was approaching <laughs> Saturday night, I would have gone Saturday night. But then Sunday mornings are always a little bit rough. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got yeah. to get up dead early with the yeah. kids. Kind of regret that extra glass of wine the night before. But then as the day eases in, I love a Sunday now. I love to shut the doors and kind of... And now the nights are drawing in and it's getting chilly and just thinking, you know, we don't have to go anywhere. The week is all about obligations and Sunday, I just think, is about, if you can... Hibernation. Obligations and hibernate. Oh. Cook. Completely. Eat. Yeah. Um, So throwing throwing the answer away, what about city shopping... Or country stroll. Oh, country stroll. Because I never get to do it, to be fair. So if I did, I probably would be like, oh, craving the shops. But actually, I do love a country stroll. The closest we've got is a really big park that's about a 10-minute drive from our house. But it's, <laughs> let, it's like... let me, I, I'm right in saying that you are... I'm, I mean, I'm in Brighton right now, but you're yeah, in, L- in London. London. I'm in south-east yeah. London. South-east. So... The park that I'm thinking of is like the southeast London version of Hampstead Heath. It's not quite as big, but you can get lost in it if you haven't been there often enough and lost your bearings. And it's got like, you know, you're in different kind of one minute it's sprawling fields and then the next minute it's deep woodland and then there's a big pond again. Not quite on the scale of Hampstead Heath, but there's a big mansion there. And Anyway, it's lovely. 
That's like the but closest, st- nearest thing I get to a country stroll. Do you get there a lot? I mean, do you get yeah, there with the kids? I get there with the kids and, um, yeah, I don't get there as much as I would like to. And I don't get to the country as much. I'm, like, really frustrated about that because, um, again, it's like an hour, an hour and a half drive if you want to get into the country from where I am or if you want to get to the sea. We manage to do it, I'd say, once every couple of months. But the reality is, like, the weekend's just... And that's it. Yeah. But then my yeah. mum also... lives in France. Also, Sorry, go on. No, 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 go on. You carry on. My mum lives in France. France, so that's country town. Like, she lives in the middle of nowhere. So um, when when we go and see her, get to... That's it. That's all there is. There is... What's... what's where, where is she? North, south? She's very central, near Limoges. She's about an hour east of Limoges, so I know it's very... I mean, Limoges itself is very beautiful, but, again, don't get yeah. that much. But where she is, there's literally her house, and then there's a fella that owns some kennels who lives down the road, and then that's <laughs> it. And then out the back of her... I know, out the back of her, uh, her house is... There's wild boar, there's deer. I mean, you have to have your eyes peeled and be lucky, but they're there. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's lovely. And, you know, um, I just kind of shut down when I get out there, but I just want to sleep all the time. Well, sometimes that's important, just to shut down and sleep all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm going away. I finished filming on Friday, and luckily I've been allowed to fly away on Saturday to meet my girlfriend, and we're going to have a week's holiday for the first time that we've had this year. And, it, and I know it's going to take me... Like a good couple of days to to not be on, yeah, and just to shut down. But it does take a bit of time, doesn't it? Yeah. Are you are you, are you Britain's busiest actor at the moment, Craig Parkinson? Because <laughs> no, we have been trying to do this for a while. It's like, oh, sorry, Liz, can't I do know. this. I'm filming again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, on no, another project. You know, <laughs> no, but you know what my life's been like for the past few years, Liz. It's been slightly hectic, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm driving back and forth all the time and picking up my son and trying to spend time with him. But I was dropping him back with his mum yesterday. So I was back in Manchester this weekend for the first time in in quite a while. And uh, we had a brilliant weekend. And I was dropping him back with his mum on Sunday because I knew that I had to come back to Brighton to film this morning and obviously he's got school and it took eight hours in the car from my house in the centre of Manchester um, dropping him back and then getting back here because we were stuck on the M5 being stuck on the M5 for like four and a half hours with an 11 year old boy it's not fun at all was he on his uh, technology well, kind of not because we've got into these. So he's very. So we started reading Stephen King. He's oh, yeah. very into horror and the paranormal, and okay. we've started listening as father and son. Mm. We've got into it, and we don't do any episodes without each other. You know that, like if you're with yeah, lovely partner, you go no, don't don't watch that. No, no commitment. So we've yeah. started listening to Danny Robbins podcasts on BBC Sounds, and he's 
got things like um, the one that we're on at the moment is the Witch Farm, which is about this Welsh farm, and just just the most awful things happen. And it, it, the way it's structured, it mixes uh, actors dramatizing certain scenes from it, and then real life experts uh, and skeptics and people text in an email and it's really interesting it's great for drives i highly mm. recommend it um so that's something that we share on drives instead of him being on his technology because you know what it's like with children on, mm. i mean you're a you're a mother and it's of a certain well, we're age, not quite like, at that stage yet we're, we're uh, lucky but we've got we've, we've decided to drive to france this christmas and then um, i'm nervous because that's going to be like nine hours so i think we're gonna have to resort to some sort of iPad Jilla, but I, I, well, I haven't got one. And again, it was the sort of thing the night before we'd be like, did you buy one? Did you get one? Have you got an iPad? <laughs> no, I thought you were getting it. <laughs> you download that stuff. Why have you downloaded it? <laughs> that, that's the There's... conversation we'll be having at five o'clock on I mean, Tuesday morning before Christmas. <laughs> preparation, preparation, preparation with driving with kids because you just don't know what's going to happen. Speaking of that, um, Sunday breakfast or Sunday lunch? Oh, Sunday lunch, definitely. Breakfast that... for me every day is the same. It's just a piece of toast with marmalade. That's my breakfast. Is it? Lunch, has it always yeah. been like that, Lil? No, I mean, been? I used to have two slices, so one would be marmite and one would be marmalade. <laughs> so, I'm cutting down. It's, fucking, cutting down, it's a fucking great combination, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know i went through a brief period of perhaps having a boiled egg but it's just too much so now i just have me a toast and marmalade and then um and then cook sunday lunch that's what i do liz white walk out at the interval or sit it through sit it through always Always. Because I, 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 oh, because I had this conver—I had this conversation at work. It came up today, and I'm pretty sure I've said this once or twice over the last five years of this podcast. I have walked out. I okay. don't mind admitting that I have. Um, and how much theatre right do it. you do, though? As a performer, how much you do? <laughs> no, 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 I don't do a lot of theatre. Well, but then I'll put it I to you. Go, go on. Go, no, no, but I do go and support my friends. And I'm not saying yeah. I walk out of my friends' stuff, because generally I don't. It's other yeah. stuff that I walk out of that I just go, no, I'm not going to invest in any more time of this. I can't do well, it. I very rarely walk out of my friends' uh, performances. Um, well, that would be really that, awkward as well because you'd have to. Well, that'd be ter- that'd be terrible. You? Well, we no, I couldn't do it. But you were going to say, go on. Well, I was going to say that um, I think my tolerance for things has got less over over the years that I've survived this earth. So um, I used to be like I, I would always finish a book, but now I just don't. If I if I'm not in by page sixty at, at the latest, I'm like, no, I can't do it anymore. Life's too short, move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose with plays, I don't get to go to the theatre often enough, I think, now, to test that theory. So I, I don't know if my tolerance is any weak, but now if I go, I just think I've, I've got to kind of savour this. And also sometimes if it's really shit, it's just as informative as if it's really good. 
Yeah, but you know, you learn, you learn something as a performer. Like I think if you weren't in this business, then if you needed to walk out, then fair enough. I, I did once do a play where I had to do quite an explicit sex scene on stage. Which one was that? It was, it was called References to Salvador Dali Make Me Hot. And it was the, a play that I did with Rashim McBrin, who I'm going to work with again next year. And we did it at the Arcola. And um, about a week into the run, we started, it was like Pavlov's dog, because you, you just knew as soon as this scene started, <laughs> the seats would start to flip up <laughs> and they'd be shuffling. And then when the lights came, like lifted back up, there'd be significantly less people in the audience. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I, I really try and stick it through. It's a funny one. I mean, I do try and stick it through. I understand what you're saying about that we learn from from seeing things. But I think nine times out of ten, if I'm not getting it by the first half, there's nothing that it's going to do by the second half for me sticking around. No. Often it gets worse, doesn't it, the second half? I think so. I think so. <laughs> I think it does, you yeah. know. But, you know, my fella's, my fella's not an actor and, and I've taken him to see some no, shows. No, he's not. And, yeah. <laughs> and he's left. And I find it so offensive. Not only because I've bought the tickets and he's left. <laughs> but obviously, mainly, that's my problem. But, um, but also, just like, how can you do that? Like... And they'll be for really namby-pamby reasons. We went to see Inheritance, which I was completely enthralled by. And he, he left because... What was, sorry, what was, was Inheritance? It was, um, it was a play in two... So it was a two parts. Yeah, I saw part one one night, part two on another night. But both parts were, like, three acts long. And it was about the AIDS uh, crisis, really. Um, but it was it was it was brilliant. It was beautifully directed. Stephen Dodge it was directed epic. it. Amazing. Yeah. It was epic, yeah. And so you had to kind of strap in. And Pete, before he'd even got the seatbelt to the uh the clicker point, he was just like, Do you know what? No, me back hurts, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're telling me this and like I'm I mean I'm not surprised. I don't <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I know, I, I know Pete a little bit. So, but he yeah. missed out so much. But, you know, I don't know if he'd do that like, now. Cause, no, but it's like, you know, it, when um, Angels in America was on a few years ago at the mm. National, you, you know, strap in. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an epic tale that mm. you need to sit down and, and watch and get involved with but we were at the theatre on a Sunday about four weeks ago four or five weeks ago to see the doctor uh with Judith oh yeah and it was it was absolutely incredible and um and it was it was a bit of a a do thing for the for a, a Sunday afternoon and we'd had a lovely morning went to the we had, had a Sunday off, so we went to the Royal Academy, we had a bit of lunch, and then we were going to see um, Juliet in her play. And there was two quite well-known figures in front of us on, like, the, the fourth row or something. And it's the Duke of York's. It's, it's not a big space. Um, was it Richard and Judy? It wasn't Richard and Judy. I would have called <laughs> him out if it was. 
But they 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 didn't they they left at half time, uh. and I just thought they had a responsibility actually to stay because there was rumblings that they were there mm. and like people knew that were there, and then there was two gaping seats right in front of me. So that on that occasion, it's not on. That's not uh, on. I don't think that's fair, Craig. I don't think that's fair. So you can walk out, but people are more famous than you can't. I think you've got to yeah, make yeah, a bit yeah, that, more yeah, of a that, decision about yeah, this and decide yeah, that, yeah, whether it's right or not. Yeah, like, that's exactly... No, because when I'm you say- become mega famous, you won't <laughs> want to lose that right, will you? Just no, no do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying is sit at the back, never (laughs) sit in the first four rows if you're going to walk out because people are going to see you and that's not on. Always take a back seat. If they were that famous, they probably got house seats, didn't they? They didn't even pay for them. That's probably why. Oh, yeah, I think they did. I think they did, but still, you know. And and the thing is, it was a fucking great play. It was heavy, but... Don't. I've seen some great plays this week. Um, Hit me up with some great week, plays. One week. Uh, I saw Best of Enemies this week. Incredible. It started at the Young Vic and now it's at the Noel Coward Theatre. It's about the meeting of Gore Vidal and William F. Butley in America. Two massive intellectuals. They had a series together on ABC to get ABC's ratings up at the time of um, uh, a massive election in America at the end of the Vietnam War. So it was like, it was massive. But the performance of David Howard and Zachary Quinto and the rest of the cast, amazing. And I saw um, The Band's Visit at the Donmar. Have you seen that? Have you seen no. that? Can you hear me? No. It's about a group of musicians from Alexandria in uh, Egypt that are going to Israel to perform a concert, but they, they end up in the wrong town. They end up in a really quiet town instead of this place that's the capital of culture. So they end up in this really sleepy town for a night, the kind of lost musicians, and it's about what happens in that 24 hours, meeting the locals and turn of events. But it's all live music on stage, so you've got these incredible musicians playing these incredible instruments that I've never heard played live before. I think there was 12 musicians and singers. It's just such a joyful, wonderful piece. So, but I don't know how long we, it's left. We were talking about um, musicals today at work because uh managed to f- f- tell everybody that our friend Danny Mays is doing Guys and Dolls oh, yeah. next year at the Bridge Theatre, which I know we're all like absolutely buzzing about. Um, and we were thinking those big old school musicals don't get staged much anymore you don't see seven brides for seven brothers it's been a long time since carousel but then um arthur darville starred in arkla uh, arkla oklahoma <laughs> last year which is coming back next year and um, we managed to see it at the young vet and it's extra it was extraordinary it? yeah because you just realized a lot of these characters are absolutely abhorrent i mm. mean they're just they're quite awful human beings. There's not a shred of sort of likability about them at all. But that staging of Oklahoma was incredible. So that's two musicals coming back next year, so that's nice. Nice. 
I don't re- I don't know Oklahoma. I've never seen it. Never seen the film or a production of it. I'd love to see that. I've heard great things, but um, most of the time when I do see musicals, I'm quite blown away by them. Um, particularly because I'm I'm not a musical theatre performer. Um, I, I I can't I can't I could I could hold a tune if forced to at a pub piano, you know. But I, to sing like that in front of an audience, I just couldn't do so. I find it so potent, particularly when it's combined with dance. I remember we took my dad to see Anything Goes, and it was on years ago for his 60th birthday, and we, we sat, I knew the assistant directors who got seats at the front of the circle, so we're right there looking into the audience, and there's all those formation dancers. And at the end of the first half, they finish with massive Anything Goes. And my dad just turned to me with tears running down his face, going, it's brilliant, right, yes! <laughs> <laughs> it was such a beautiful moment. Um, so yeah, so I kind of I had a bit of a snobbery about musicals once I went to drama school because I went to Lipper, which is a quite a predominantly musical theatre place. And how really... how how was that? And what how was it? And why did why I end, did up, you end there? up at Lipper? Yeah, it was the only place I got in, and I got in on um, uh, what do they call it? Not clear. Somebody had dropped out, basically. So I was on a waiting list. So I'd done... When my audition came, you had to do a song, a piece you'd written and a classical piece. So I did the piece that, I was ri- that I'd written and I was dead proud of it. That went really well. I did my classical piece. That was all right. And I thought, this is going well. This is going well. <laughs> then I had to do my song. And I'd chosen Ain't Misbehaving. Um, but I'd... I'd also not chosen the key. So I gave, I'd given the pianist <laughs> the music and then just started <laughs> off on completely the wrong note. And, we were, you know, they'd given us, they, they were kind enough to give us a, a tall stool to sit on to, like, anchor ourselves. I just had my eyes shut, my legs swinging and my hands gripping onto the side of this stool, kind of praying that it would be over and they wouldn't notice how bad I was. But anyway, they did because I didn't, actually get a place and then somebody dropped out and they said well you need a second skill what is it and I was really into photography and because I hadn't got in anywhere I was prepared I'd got an offer from Edinburgh Napier to do photography Mm. thinking I'll do photography and then in my holidays I'll join the fringe or whatever I had really no idea um anyway so photography was my second skill and I set up my own little dark room at Lippo and I went and kind of, I took pictures. I wasn't a brilliant photographer and also I found it really difficult to be in in it as an actor and out of it as a photographer being the observer. So I had to, after like the first year, year and a half, I, I stopped taking pictures. But by then they'd kind of forgotten that that was my second skill and they didn't bother. No one ever marked me on it anyway. It was way back when... That back up. Did. Photography. You picked it back up, Liz, yeah? Um, not really, because... Um, well, I've always done a bit, and obviously with an iPhone, you've got the opportunity to take great pictures. You've got no excuse not to take a great picture. And I'm yeah. never really that overwhelmed with what I take, you know? So I just don't think I've got... I'll, I'll, I love it and I appreciate it, and I, I'd love to think I had the eye, but... but my fella's much better at taking pictures than I am. So, 
Yeah, no, I didn't really, I didn't pick it back up, but I did do it for a good solid, like, four years, really. I wanted to be a photographer for a while. But in your heart of hearts... In, you in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be an actor. You wanted to be an actor. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about Lipper. How, how was that three-year journey? Um, well, it was quite horrifying at the beginning because everyone was singing all the time. I mean, I never heard anything like it. Everyone knew all the words to Rent, never heard of it. Um, and other musicals, never heard of them. It was in the bar, it was in the toilets, downstairs. You just hear all these choruses of voices singing and I just like, I've got no idea what you're on about. Or why it's quite intimidating, it isn't it? Yeah, God, yeah. And um, so I just felt a bit uh, lost, really. But it, it also, it kind of didn't bother me because it was... I was so um I'd done I'd done youth theatre, that's how I got into it. I didn't really do acting at school. So I'd already done a bit of performing and and I'd taken two years out and I really knew that acting was what I wanted to do. And I knew that I didn't just want to be famous because when I was a kid, I ended up being a presenter for a local TV programme. And um, I was awful at that as well. But the beauty of that <laughs> was that I was like, yeah, I don't, I can't be me on screen. This is hideous and, and I'm not very good at it. But at least that tells me that I'm not just doing this because I want to be on camera. I'm doing it because it's the acting that I want. Um, so I carved my own little niche when I went to Lipper. And I think the the dark room in the utility room at the college was kind of my getaway, and that's where I would go. And it and it was so it was handy to keep me on the outside for a bit for the first year, while I kind of softly integrated. But then most of my mates were a couple of years above. I ended up living a, with a girl in Liverpool who didn't even go to our college, and I never did the digs thing. Um, and then when it came to the final year, Lipper had only been going four years and they, they kind of quickly ran out of money. Yeah, um, I remember. And like when we started, you used to have 24-hour access to the building. So, of course, in my head, I was like, this is brilliant. I'm just going to rock up at 3am and do a rehearsal, as if you ever would. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't need 24-hour access <laughs> at drama school. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, not, um, it's not a pure gym. Like, yeah, we, we exactly. We all like kicked up a bit of a stink at the time, as if, as if we need twenty four hour access. Anyway, and um, and also then for our final projects, they couldn't get an external director to come in and direct. Whereas in the years below, we'd had some like you know people that had a reputation that would look good on a CV. When it came to our third year final project, we didn't have anybody, and nobody in my year. At the, at that time, really expressed an interest in directing. So I was like, right, I'm going to do my own show. So I did a one-woman show and um, there was a girl in the year below me who I'd always just kind of... I just thought she was spectacular. And um, I approached her one day with a script and said, 
I've got a feeling that you'd be a really good director. And she was like, well, funnily enough, I've just been talking about that. I said, well, OK, will you read the script? And then I had another friend who directed me the year below who worked at Hull University. And so they ended up co-directing it. Anyway, long story short, we did it at the local theatre after the school saying they wouldn't, they wouldn't give us a room and they wouldn't give us a rehearsal space. And we did it at the local theatre and the Unity Theatre, and then we got into the National Student Drama Festival and, like, won the festival and then got this amazing agent who I've been with ever since, and it really, like, kick-started my career. But it was all because of adversity. It was all because they, they said they, they weren't going to have this external director, they wouldn't support us. It's like it, it pushed us to aim higher, really. And, and, and to so, take and to take matters into and, your own hands. Yeah, to take matters into our own hands and to take risks and to ask favours. Like you know, I, I mean, there was a lad in the year below who was really good at web design, and he was kind enough to design our posters. And my friend knew somebody who was an amazing, amazing artist, and she did this amazing poster for it. So you know, asking people to get involved, and that was the other brilliant thing about Lipper was that. There were people of all disciplines that went there. So there were costume designers, stage managers, lighting designers. So you could recruit people from other disciplines and they would get on board. And Liverpool's just such a fantastic city. Um, Like to have the unity space there. And actually they they didn't have a night free in their programming, but they said, how long's your show? I was like, well, it's 40, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. He said, well, if you make it 45, we've got a show comes down at nine, so you can go on at 10 o'clock and do it there. Like, brilliant, that'll do. You know, just like, yeah, <laughs> wicked. So we did three nights and sold out. And that, you know, that was it. It really, that changed my life doing that. And was there a goal after leaving Leper? I mean, obviously theatre was at the forefront of your mind, but... Did you envisage sort of oh, wanting a career on the television or not on at stage? all? Or you it wanted wasn't, to sort of. I suppose, if anything, on screen it was film because that's what I'd. I didn't really watch. I suppose I had. I'd watched loads of telly, of course I had, but the things that I was really artistically stimulated by were going to the cinema, seeing an amazing film, or watching back catalogue films. And then. Um, and theatre, stage. Um, so that was it, really. That's what I wanted. And then, and actually, that's how my agent got me because when, when we were at the National Student Drama Festival, um, I was approached by Pippa Markham's ex-husband, who said, right. Michael, who said, I think Pippa would love you. Come down and meet her. And um, she's, by the way, she's Tim Ross' agent. So I was like, oh, my God, it's Tim Ross' agent. Yes, yeah, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I couldn't wait to set up this meeting with Pippa Markham. And then by the time we got back to Lipper after Scarborough, um, there was a fax. And they said, oh, someone's been in touch. And it said, um, we're an agency and we'd love to talk to Liz White about representation. And I thought, oh, bless, it'll be like a local agency but it was ICM as which are now independent massive agency and it was because 
um, the Sunday Times sponsored the National Student Drama Festival. And my agent at the time was like, she'd just setting up her books and really interested and flicking through the culture pages on a Sunday and was like, oh, she looks interesting. And that was it. So I went down to London for my meetings, met Pippa Markham first, who just was the coolest woman. Like, she had these yes. John Lennon glasses. She's very one, cool. <laughs> one one cycling leg trouser rolled up, you know, she's cycled in, like, her, she was like, well, great, you know, I think you're really interesting, but I'd have to see you in something. And I was like, it's fine, it's fine, I'll just put something on, I'll make it happen. And then I had my interview at ICM, or Independent, and... I was so full of confidence because I thought I'm going to be with Pippa Markham anyway. It doesn't matter what you say. And I was like, yeah. look at my photos, look at this, the reviews, or talk about me, me, me. And, um, and she said, right, I'll offer you representation straight away. And I was like, well, I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And then she wrote, because <laughs> I was like, I want to be with Pippa Markham. And then she rang me back a couple of days later and said... Um, Listen, if I if I can say it, I've got you an audition for a film on Monday, will you will you come with me? And that was it. I was like, yes, I will. And as it happened, I went down to London. I had four auditions on the Monday with me. To, like never done it before. A to Z. Where am I going? Queens Park. Yeah. Abbey Ward. Where you know wherever. Yeah, and I got one of the jobs. And that was that was it. That was the start. So it was a very. It was skyrocket start for me it was more than I could have ever imagined and it's been downhill ever since <laughs> no it hasn't it's quite the opposite but Liz, Liz how old were you at that point when that was happening 20 I was 21 I think 21 I must have been 21 because I'm, I'm born late in the year so um even though I'd had a couple of years out I don't know I was 21 or 22 and you were yeah, still 21. you were still based up north at this point, weren't you? Yeah, I was still in Liverpool. Wanted to be in Liverpool. My flatmate had had a baby, and I wanted to. I was a godmum, so I wanted to stay up there. And then I just couldn't because the train fares. I was up and down auditioning all the time, and so I ended up moving. My brother lived in Kent, so I moved in with him for a bit. And um, and how and was just, that moving? How was that moving down south? Um, it was a bit alienating. Well, it, it's not that... I suppose it is young, but when I look at people like Florence Pugh or Saoirse Rona, big actresses who we've seen kind of grow up on screen, I look at them with complete bafflement and adulation because I just think, how have they managed to... Not only their talent, but really their kind of sense of self and their kind of confidence, the choices that they make, they seem really grounded. I mean, obviously, I don't know them personally, but I just think that the way they navigate their career tells me that they've got their head screwed on properly. And I really, I didn't have a clue. I actually, I think the first initial flurry was brilliant and exciting. and, And in my first year I did a play a couple of plays at Royal Court with Danny Mays actually one of them and um yeah you know it was I, rem- I remember yeah. <laughs> dear and it was like so it was yeah um, of course yeah so it was like amazing and then when I started to do I think more screen telly work I think that's when I found it a bit um it was just different 
you know, signing up for a series, as you know, Craig, it's it's such a different discipline because a lot of it is about patience and endurance and managing yourself off screen. As, yeah. You know, the, and, 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 work. and, you know, and also trust. Mm. You know, there was, a, there was another, there's another question on my uh, short list that I was, I was figuring out a new short list today because I haven't done this for ages. I haven't done like short questions to um, uh, kickstart an, uh, mm. an interview, an interview. I've been saying this for five years now. An interview, it's a conversation. It is an interview. But, you know, it's just like a friendly conversation. But it was, uh, one of them was less ambition or more ambition. What, that because, I wish I had or what? No, I mean, it, it, I mean, I think it's, it, that's to interpret as you will. But I was talking mm. to uh, one of my best friends a few months ago and were, you know, I'm 46 now. I know you're younger than me, but he's the same age as me. And we were going, yeah, I mean, I've got less ambition now. I've st- I've, I still love it, but I've got the focus. The drive is there, but the focus is different. Mm-hmm. So I would say there personally that, like, the ambition is is less and then you go, well, is that because I've achieved lots of things that I want to do and now my priorities are, have changed and they're different and I want to support someone who's going through secondary school and, you know, things are changing in my life. And, you know, there's lots of, there's loads of contributing factors. So mm. I don't know, it's, um, I suppose it's, a, it's an open question, less ambition, more ambition. I think a friend said to me once, and she hit the nail on the head, that in terms of, like, I suppose fame or success, they would, to me, equate with, like, doing the work that you want to do all the time. That would be my idea of success. And she said, but but along with that often comes a, a bit of fame, you know, and, and, and exposure. And she said, you want it, but you don't want it. And mm. and that's exactly how I feel. Like, actually, when I was in Life on Mars, it was probably when I was the most recognisable. Um, and I used to find it really awful, like awful, torturous, being on a Sunday morning <laughs> and you just want to shut the doors, <laughs> having to run out to Sainsbury's and you're like there looking at which peanut butter you're going to buy and somebody's like, oh, are you life of Mars? And, you know, and, and then the crushing feeling that you've really ruined their day by not being what they expected you to be or, yeah. you know, just oh, all those mixed emotions that come with um, having a face that people recognise. And But now I've, I'd certainly go through stages in in my career where I feel frustrated and I want to be doing more and but it's always just when I'm out of work full stop if I'm working I'm all right and it really doesn't as long as I've taken the job because I like the job it doesn't really matter whether it's a channel five drama or a you know on the stage at the national or whatever because you're just invested in what you're doing because you you know there are some jobs that you don't necessarily you're not doing it as a labour of love. There are those. 
Um, but no, but the but the thing is, Liz, if we were, um, I don't know, uh, an electrician or a plumber or a carpet fitter, we would just you, you we would take jobs that we were invested in because we wanted yeah. to do a good job on that carpet, but there's no emotional investment in fitting that carpet, is there? We just want to make that carpet the best it can be for this person and we're taking the money. Yeah, there is that, but then there's always the surprises that come with it and it works the other way. But say you might be doing that job where you think this isn't this isn't the finest house that I'm fitting this carpet for and yet... While I was there, I met this amazing electrician and this amazing plumber and, like, actually this carpet because, is buzzing. <laughs> because you never because you never know. Because you're always going to learn. You're gonna, always yeah. going to learn off somebody. Yeah. Which is what keeps us going back, I think, personally. Yeah. I mean, there's I, never I still been, there's never been there's, there's never been one job where I haven't formed some sort of relationship on and I'm sure it's the same with you mm. there's been there's been a couple of jobs definitely if I'm honest at the time and most of them when I was younger because I think I wanted to prioritize different things because you know I didn't have a family until I was much older it's just me for a really long time so actually I had much more freedom than I gave myself license for so I I think I took some jobs that you know I didn't really need I didn't I knew at the time I didn't really want to take them but I felt I should or you know what if I don't get anything else and and I think it's really good in our game just to be available sometimes but now I'm older and like you say and I've got I've got commitments and I've got a house and a family and you know I'm much more um I'm 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 much more happy to just kind of see what comes next, and unless it's really offensive, then just take it and see what happens. You know, I I, I kind of I, last year or th- this year that we're still in, it's actually been pretty quiet for me. I've done a couple of lovely jobs, but I had loads of time off, and um, it, it's quite an unsettling feeling, really. I I want to be working. I love it. So um, how do you how do you feel about um throwing yourself out into the future and going I'm going to commit to such and such in 3 months 4 months time because that's quite a scary thing because if you're going to say like which you are you're yeah. going to be starting a a new theater yeah. Commitment. That's sorry. That sounds so clinical. A theatre commitment. <laughs> I'm doing a play. <laughs> You're doing a play with Rosie McBrain. Amazing. But, but that, that's, but that, but that is amazing. So I have no doubts about that. But um, I have at other times. Like, and also sometimes you have to make personal choices. I was once. Uh, I, I had a great play on the table, and I'd said yes to it, and I and I couldn't wait. But it was like eight months in the future, and. My partner knows all about this, but we we hadn't been together that long before. I just thought I just really want a baby with this guy. I really do, and this is what I want to happen. And and I knew if I took if I if I continued to be signed up to do this play, 
I couldn't serve the play if I was pregnant, but neither did I know if I was going to get pregnant. I also didn't... I hadn't actually talked about it with my partner because it was still early days. Yeah. So it was all, like, trying to make decisions. Anyway, I pulled out the play and I got pregnant, and that was it. <laughs> so, you know, and... And the director was very forgiving in the end. I think at the time they were like, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't put this in a, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell them these were my reasons for not taking the play because it was just an idea. Yeah, and a feeling. It's a, it that, feeling, that's a yeah. that's something that's personal to you. That's that's yeah. you know, it's heart and it's gut, and two things that you totally have to trust. Yeah, thank God I did. Um, oh, thank God! Thank God! I mean, it would, but, but then, but also, but also, of course, it would have been all right if I if I'd signed up for the play and I was pregnant because they would have worked around it. See, this is not a dilemma that I think a man would have to face. It, I'm conditioned to think like that at the time, and so I do kind of look back on that with a modicum of um, regret because I think actually I should have just gone for it because you know I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been culpable for making a terrible decision or mistake being pregnant and having this job to go to, but that's what I thought. I thought, I, you know, everyone would be really pissed off with me if I was pregnant. But do, do you think that was uh, your naivety of being younger or...? Yeah, but I wasn't that the, much younger. The, 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 or... I, I, I think it is the conditioning that that we go through as women that I, I was obviously still subject to, that I, I, I just thought, you know, I can frame it two different ways. I can frame it like I did the first time. But actually, like, the following year, I saw Rosalie Craig on stage, eight months pregnant in a musical being hoisted up well, on a, like, almost a trapeze, you know. It, it, it well, that's what I was going. That's what I was going to say. You yeah. know, was it your naivety, or do you, did you feel it was the industry imposing that onto you and not giving you an avenue to walk down and go? Do you know what? Actually, I am pregnant, but I still can fulfil this commitment and play this role. Yeah, I you know, suppose. So you just said it yourself. The other bit, the other tricky bit, is the person in the play. Having a baby was a big thing. It's like she couldn't have a baby. That was part of the. It wasn't Yerma, but it was a play. It was a storyline like that. That was the other reason why I thought I can't play that part pregnant because she that she, that actress just cannot be pregnant because it's a, a theme of the play that she can't be pregnant. So that was also part of it. So it was the artistic well, integrity, it, but also emotionally, you didn't feel that you could walk that line. No, I just thought visibly, I'd be I'd be pregnant. I'm, I mean, like, the thing. I mean, it all depends well, on how pregnant. But and also, you know, we both know the most amazing costume designers in the world. They can yeah. figure that shit out. Yeah, it actually it wasn't my problem. I suppose looking back on it, but I completely saw it as my problem. I just thought I can't do this play. Anyway, I pulled out. But it's 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 um, yeah, it's food for thought, isn't it? Actually, what decisions I've one has made as a... That's the, the kind of biggest decision that being a woman has affected the choice that I made. Do you, do you... Just talking about that specific situation, situation, do you regret it, Liz? Do you regret making that call? Do you know, 
I don't. What I regret is the unease that it caused between me and the director. Only, only until the point came where I could explain what it was all about. Um, and the fact that I kind of, because I couldn't call it for what it was, I couldn't say it's because I'm thinking I might like to have a baby by this time next year. Yeah, yeah. So I had to make some fluff up about my career and what I was wanting to do and what direction. Well, it really wasn't about that, but I can imagine they opened that email and thought, God, what a tosser. <laughs> and of course you, not, you don't... Do you not think that's sort of... Um... Your worry as an actor projecting on what they would think of you. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm only I, saying that because that's exactly what I would do. I, I would. But think, also, oh, you, you think know I'm the conversations that go on in the corridors of power. But you know, of co- well, of course. You know what I mean. But yeah, I don't actually regret it because, hey, I suppose. The point is, at the time, by freeing myself of that commitment, it allowed me to actually pursue having a baby with my partner without any sense of uh, being beholden to something else. I just, I I could have that conversation with my partner and we did decide to have a baby and we ended up, fortunately, getting pregnant and, and we've ended up with the person that we've got as our kid, and that's a wonderful thing. So, like, I, I, of course I don't regret it. And work-wise, I went on to do other stuff, and it's fine. It, it, it's just... It's just interesting, and, and it's absolutely occurred to me before that my male partner would never have to go, do you know what, I can't go on tour then because... Um, I'm having a baby because, <laughs> like, the baby can happen elsewhere from the from the male. You know, it's only as, a, as the person carrying the child that you go. That's what I've got to do. And do you feel that situations like that you've grown from that you can yeah. just? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely, and then. And so when I wanted another baby, but like work, I just I could just kind of trusted that work would go through. It's so scary having your first child in an industry where you're self-employed. Um, it's not just for actors, anyone where you're self-employed, you don't know what's going to happen. And of course, added to that, an industry that slightly relies on what you look like and um, what you sound like, you know, all those things that, that kind of change when you're pregnant and, and when you have a baby. And I was just so worried that I'd never work again and that I, I'd completely changed physically. And and actually none of that happened anyway. Um, and I, I kind of, I worked straight away. And I know so many women who, same, who are actors who've ended up, yeah, just going straight back to work. All those fears completely abated. Fears that you've stacked up against your career your whole life until that point, thinking, you know, putting it off, putting it off, it's not the right time, I just need another job first. And, of course, the reality, sometimes the reality is that's just bare bones money. You just make, need to make sure you can financially get through a period well, exactly. where Exactly, you... it's, like, it's like what we were talking about before, you know, sometimes you've just got to fit that carpet yeah. and make it the <laughs> yeah. best carpet it can be, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I, ha- I like. I suppose that's why the the ambition question. I just I feel much more on good days. I feel much more relaxed about my path because I just think to yeah. me, it'll fall into place. And it's been falling into place for 20 years so far. Why would it suddenly <laughs> stop ex- falling into place so dramatically exactly, that I'm going to end exactly. up in a bed seat in Cornwall? Uh, and, and, and maybe sometimes after such, uh, uh, you know, a certain period of time, maybe it's better for us as human beings and taking the acting out of it is to relax and maybe that's going to be better for us, maybe, mm. you know? Mm. So, Liz, speaking about going back on stage, how long has it been since you were back on the stage? I did a play in 2019 at um, Chichester Festival, mm. which was Shadowlands, the lovely story about oh C.S. Lewis. God, oh, my God, what a beautiful God, story. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, it was amazing. It really was an amazing trip, that, because, um, well, <laughs> the play was amazing. The director, Rachel Kavanagh, was brilliant. The cast were brilliant. But also... I love Rachel Kavanagh. Oh, she's amazing. She directed she's so me in fun. my second play out of drama school at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. What an absolutely gorgeous human being. Yeah, so supportive, so just so lovely. And she managed to make the room feel really... You know, Hugh Bonneville was playing C.S. Lewis and um, he was definitely the name for the show, but... And and his grace as well, like, he, he, you know, he was... um, just lovely to work with in the room. Just so you didn't feel any hierarchy, and neither should you. But it was it was just level playing field for everybody. It was a really lovely mm. time. But also, uh, well, uh, as it should be, yeah. As it should be, yeah. But I I also got to go down to Chichester and have three nights on my own before I was joined by <laughs> my kid. So like, don't have children. It was just so nice. <laughs> and um, I remember the first night I went down there. I, I got a flat really close to the theatre, literally across the car park. And rehearsals obviously started at 10. So, you know, I'm used to being in, working from London, so you've got the commute to add in. So I got up at 7 and I thought, well, you know, I'm here. I've got no excuse. I'm going to do my yoga. did a bit of yoga. Like, I've never done it since. But I did a bit of yoga, had my marmalade on toast. And then I was like... It's only quarter to eight. <laughs> I've got two and a quarter hours before it starts. <laughs> so, I'm just like, right, what do I do? Read the, read the script, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I had that lovely luxury for three, four weeks, maybe. Um, yeah, it was a lovely, lovely time. But I am nervous about going back on stage. Of course I am. And going to see those plays that I mentioned, uh, like going to see Best of Enemies. Honestly, <laughs> I uh, I met Zachary Quinto after the show because he'd organised this Thanksgiving party for everybody. So we went to this club and I went up to him. And he was he was fantastic, but he, they, were, they were all fantastic. Him and David Howe would kind of lead it there and they were both phenomenal. So I said, you know, you were brilliant. You were brilliant. And, of course, you know, I'm an actor, Zachary, but I did find myself thinking, how has he learned all those lines? 
<laughs> and he just looked at me like, get, get this woman away from me. Get this security. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I kind of, I was sat there in the audience thinking, shit, I've got to do this next year. What? Oh, I'm going to do it. Um, uh, but you will, and I can't wait to see it. It's uh, you being directed by the incredible Roisin McBrin at the National. Yeah. Um, what's the play called? Liz? It's called Dixon and Daughters, and it's about it's six women on stage, and it's there's no interval, so it's you've got no <laughs> got no opportunity to leave. <laughs> It's it's my kind of play, Liz White. I mean, if I wasn't there before, I'm definitely there now, 100%. And um, that's what my fella said as well. Um, and, yeah, it's just proper. It's really, it's one of the best plays I've ever read. And um, when I, the morning I first read it, Pete was over the table for me doing his work and I was on this side just reading going, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, like just <laughs> making all these involuntary noises. Um, it's a brilliant piece. Can't wait. Well, Les, it's been. I'm so pleased we've managed to get this together. I know it's been really difficult, but I was having a conversation just to end this. Now I've got to end this. I was having a conversation with somebody, um, and they were planning their wedding, and they were invited to a wedding. They have children. And they were told that no children were were going to be invited to the wedding. They were just going to make it child-free. And they yes. were really fucked off by it. And I said, well, I think you just got to respect um, the people who are sorting the wedding out. And plus, how amazing is that going to be? You're going to have a free, yeah. child-free night. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. But they didn't like it. So the question is... Children at a wedding or not? Oh, man. <sighs> Do you know what? Can you say, like, what? daytime, yes, nighttime, no? I mean, I'm a big believer in that. If they can come and take them away yeah. and yeah. then the grown-ups, the grown-ups can party from five yeah. o'clock in the evening, absolutely fine. That's what I'm talking about. I went to a wedding just like that in January. Although I didn't, we didn't take our kids, but anyway, but, um, but that's what the, uh, you know, the relatives did. And that was a big success, I think. Kids in the day. Oh, that's it. And what a perfect place to end it. Liz White, you're an absolute (laughs) treasure. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for spending your Monday night with me. Oh, don't be daft. Thanks so much, Craig. It'll be Take care, mate. Speak to you soon. Bye. Ciao for now. another episode is done what an absolute joy i love spending time with liz um and i hope you did too so onwards and upwards next week there is no episode why craig why 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 are you why are you doing that to us well i'm going on holiday i'm very excited i'm having my first my first holiday of the year and it's towards the end of the year so we'll be off next week Uh, We will be back before Christmas with some episodes, so keep this frequency clear. And until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been Producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care.
We'll see you in a bit. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers. Oh, oh, oh.